I think the most important thing to do is that you start with a wine that you like, and then you try the different foods to see what matches up, or, or vice versa. Start start with the dishes you like, and then bring in the different wines to see what pairs. And this will help you develop a, a sense of taste combinations that you like, that and and will start to give you more confidence in what you can create from there. Welcome back to another episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. I'm your host, Anastasia, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. You know, today seems as good as any other day to reflect on how far we've come. According to my calculations, this marks our 30th regular full-length episode. I could be totally wrong, though. I still can't really read Roman numerals. Honestly, from all the work that goes into these episodes behind the scenes, it kind of feels like that number should be higher. But then I think about the fact that I never ever really thought I'd be here today doing this. This podcast started out as the strangest idea in the very depths of my brain. So to go from what seemed like a very far away dream to three years of continually teaching myself how to do this and overcoming so many potential roadblocks along the way, 30 episodes gets put into a better perspective. So happy 30 kids! But I don't think I can actually count just me gushing about this podcast episode as an episode in and of itself, so let's get into it. In this episode, we're celebrating Valentine's Day the only way I know how, drinking wine. Can I say that? I don't know if I can actually say that. For all intensive and legal purposes, that was a joke. No wine will be consumed today, but we are going to talk a lot about it thanks to our special guest. Tom is the owner and operator of Pearl Lake Distributors. He's also the first person I thought of asking to help me become more familiar with wine ahead of the big day. We're going to talk about the beverage and its many forms in general, and we're also going to talk about wine pairings to make you look and sound like a pro for your date. So, whether your plans for the 14th are set in stone, or you have no idea what your evening will look like, this episode is going to be worth a listen. So stick around, and I'll see you on the other side of the interview. everyone. Thanks for sticking around for this episode. You might be here to get some wine knowledge, to impress a friend or a date or someone special, or maybe you've listened to every episode so far and this one's no different, or maybe you fell asleep and your cat opened Spotify for you and selected this. Uh, But no matter what brought you here today, I think you're going to like it. And I think you're going to learn a lot from our guest. So everyone at home, please join me in welcoming Tom of Pearl Lake Distributors to Bath Rad. 
Tom. Thank you for finding time in your busy schedule this time of year to come on the show today. It's my pleasure, Anastasia. Thank you for inviting me. So to get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with wine? Like, how did you come to be a part of all of this and this industry? It's probably a longer story than you have time for. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version, and that would start back around 1999. I was invited to partner in a small, what we would call, boutique wine import distribution business. This was from a former employer of mine and a very good friend. We had done it because we identified that there was a real need in the industry, and this took place back in Connecticut where I was living at the time, my wife Rosalind and I, we felt that there was a real need for small family wineries to be represented as opposed to these big corporate wineries that were all being distributed by very large companies, at least down in the Connecticut area, but we really had come to find out this was almost nationwide. My former partner in this venture who invited me into it originally came from Italy back in 1958, and he wanted to go back to his homeland and start there. So that was the beginning of it all for us to come together and started importing wines from Italy. And along the way, we built the business, brought in some really talented people down in the Connecticut area. And we put together the structure and then let these terrific, knowledgeable wine people go out and start to represent these small wineries, and it really started to take hold. There there was a need, and we, we found our niche. And then in 2006, we had a really prestigious import company, uh, Winebow Imports, who was owned by a gentleman by the name of Leonardo Lacascio, uh, and he had amassed just an amazing portfolio of Italian wines and came approached us because he wanted to expand his distribution and wanted to acquire our business to help in doing that in the state of Connecticut. And it was a little earlier than we really would have liked to have sold the business, but it was a great opportunity. And so in 2000, April of 2006, we had turned over the business to him and the Weinbow Corporation. And I stayed on to transition the business and then was invited by Leonardo to uh, continue to run the Connecticut operation for him, which I did for 11 years, all the while commuting from New Hampshire. At that point, Rosalind and I had purchased a home over here in Lisbon, so I would head down on Monday mornings, return on Friday afternoon, and did this until 2017. And during that 11-year period, the Weinbow Corporation had been sold to two private equity firms, and then ultimately there was a merger, and by 2017, it had become an $800 million company. And this was far from where I had started in the business. And at that point, I decided I wanted to go back to where I began in 1999, and represent small family wineries. So I decided to end the commute and stay up here in New Hampshire, and Rosalind and I started this business that we have today called Pearl Lake Distributors, and going back to finding small family wineries from around the world and representing them here in the state of New Hampshire. I don't know what I'm more impressed with, your commitment to the small family wineries or 
that 11-year commute to Connecticut from Lisbon, New Hampshire. <laughs> well, I knew the route up and down I-91 really well. I could have done that in my sleep. The important thing for me was representing those companies, but returning home here every Friday night to, to New Hampshire, it, it was all worth it. So. And even though you're based out of Connecticut, I think a lot of people in New Hampshire or really anywhere in any industry can relate to what you were talking about where these smaller family-owned companies have a hard time competing against the larger national companies and corporations with more funding and more brand recognition and all of that. And it takes an extra helping hand sometimes to help boost those smaller businesses up. And it's kind of funny. I feel like the co-op operates in the same way as well, where we are this agent for distributing and getting recognition for these smaller local producers. So I'm definitely seeing some parallels in your story and that of a cooperative. Without question, it it was and continues to be extremely rewarding. You become quite friendly with these families. They're small family wineries. They absolutely become your friends, and they so appreciate the fact that you are their representation. They are up against these massive marketing budgets, and most of these families have very little if nothing in the way of marketing budgets. So what they depend on are small boutique distributorships and importers, which we are only one of many. But it's wonderful. It's a, it's a wonderful way to make a living. Definitely. So speaking of marketing, uh, as we may know, Valentine's Day is on the horizon, whether you like it or not. And as far as I know, wine is so often associated with Valentine's Day. Do you know anything about that, how that came to be? Or if not, maybe in your opinion, why do you think they go so hand in hand? Well, it's interesting because there are some theories uh, or stories, true or not. But one of them that is probably the most notable is centuries ago, there was an ancient Roman festival um Lupercalia, I believe it, Lupercalia, I think it was pronounced. And essentially what it was, was pairing Roman men and women in some fertility ritual or something. But by all accounts, this was all fueled by some raucous, wine-filled events. And it doesn't sound terribly romantic, but uh, apparently there was a lot of wine involved in that. But I think the, the romantic end of it, you had to skip centuries to the 18th, 19th centuries. It became a, a tradition to to write a, a note or a card to someone who you might be romantically involved with. Um, it really doesn't seem until the mid-20th century that this whole idea of having uh, dinner together or going out for dinner became more popular and and really, it wasn't until the late 20th century that wine really became so popular that that, that paired up on that, on that dinner table. 
it's interesting, that timeline, and it kind of makes me wonder if eventually we'll see a centuries-long drop-off from the style we have right now, and maybe something else besides wine will take its place in association with Valentine's and romance, or nothing will take its place, and then many, many years into the future, when we're no longer around to see it, if it'll make a comeback as trends like this have been known to do. We just didn't know it was a trend. Exactly. So everything is cyclical, and and uh, we find that with food and with clothing, with styles, and, and certain certainly with wine. And you know, cocktails are becoming very popular again. So what you're finding now are the, the cocktails that, you know, probably uh, my parents' generation drank, you know, whiskey sours and things like that, are becoming more popular, where when I was just younger, it wasn't. It was wine. But I think one of the things that has happened, though, is wine, although it may have dropped off a bit in, in consumption, uh, because of these generation now drinking more cocktails, um, there's still a lot more wine being consumed now than there than there was 40, 50 years ago in the United States. So, so it's become part of our culture in some ways. Even if it it may come and go, or styles may come and go, it it's become a part of the culture. Um, but there, but there is. You know, tying it back to Valentine's Day and the whole romance of wine, that yeah, there is just something romantic about wine, and it's this idea that you have this beverage that has to be opened with a corkscrew. <laughs> that although now there's a lot of screw top wines, but but still, they're they're the vast majority are still sealed with with corks, and and it's also this whole international component of it that. You know, mine is made all over the world. There are thousands of great varieties that are used. As we've already pointed out, so many are produced by these multi-generational families, and they're stored in, in wooden casks that are hand, all handmade and aged in old, century-old cellars and grown on these magnificent landscapes and, you know, hillsides and next to chateaus in France or or Tuscan villas. It, it's and it's all about food and friends and family and all. So and they all have a story. And so I, I just think that all ties in with the romance of it all, which ties in with Valentine's Day. Yeah. The word that kept rolling through my head when you were talking about that was sort of a grandiose in the sense that so many points that you hit on, you know, that it's kind of an event in and of itself to open it with the corkscrew and pop that cork out. And then the fact that it is, in most cases, a foreign product imported from a destination that is most likely also very known for romance. And then there's always been the era of sophistication in my experience around wine and all of those lend together to make it perfect for for romance there's no question and and you know thinking about it further the fact that we put them in 
special glasses. <laughs> and not only is there one type of wine glass, you know, there are wine glasses for white wine, red wine, different types of red and white wine, uh, for sparkling wine. So it, it's it's just the whole thing, and it's beautiful. I did not even know that there were different types of glasses meant for different types of wine. That's interesting to me. I don't want to say crazy because it's it's not crazy, but just I had no idea what I'm going to say next. Now I'm questioning because I'm like, maybe it's just me. But I thought that even the most unknowledgeable wine drinker understands that there are certain wines that are supposed to pair or, in other words, go better with certain foods. So maybe it's just me that doesn't know this, but when you're looking at food and wine being paired together, what are we actually looking at that makes them work? So the rule of thumb has always simply been, if you're having sort of chicken or fish, you would want white wine. It's almost like white meat, white fish. (laughs) You, You want white wine and and with meats and red sauces, it, it would be red wine. Um, and it's a drastic oversimplification, uh, but it was always a really good rule of thumb. But when you want to dig down into it deeper, and, and this is where it becomes enjoyable and really quite a lot of fun, it's starting to try to pair the wines to different foods because in each case, there's so much diversity to them, um, meaning foods can be acidic and, or they could be heavy in style, lighter in style. It's the same with wine. And, and so ultimately you want to try to bring those together so, so that they match. So I think the most important thing to do is that you start with a wine that you like. And then you try the different foods to see what matches up, or, or vice versa. Start start with the dishes you like, and then bring in the different wines to see what pairs. And this will help you develop a, a sense of taste combinations that you like, that and and will start to give you more confidence in what you can create from there. And it's taking the the acidity the bitterness, the sweetness of certain wines or or food and then trying to bring them together. So like white wines will tend to have lighter notes like pear and lemon and melon and and reds stronger. They're deeper tones. You're things like cherries and plums, you know, blackberries, currants. You always hear these descriptions about wines. So it's it's really just working your way through it. So something like um like a lemony fish dish or something would would pair well with a Pinot Grigio because the Pinot Grigio is lighter and or or a Thai food which is very spicy could pair well with a um a really hearty Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand or something where you're getting different flavors of grapefruit and things such as that or a hearty beef stew you, then you want a really bigger robust wine you know that that these are the things to play around with without getting too specific about it. But, you know, oddly enough, something like champagne, a sparkling wine, champagne actually pairs with everything, which makes it so interesting. So 
you know, even with a even with fried foods, the carbonation of sparkling wine it it cuts through the saltiness and it balances off fats. So just touching on those ideas, that's what I would just suggest people explore with without getting too specific. But the key is don't stress out about it. Have fun with it. Mm, that's a very good point to remember. So to kind of summarize everything you said, basically it sounds like you want to complement what's in the dish with what's in the wine and vice versa. So like you said, if you had a more acidic dish, you want a more acidic wine. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, in a, in a fact that that's what it is. That's exactly right. And, and because that, that's the key. You will have an, a, a very acidic wine, but if you were to pair it with a blander dish, it would overpower it. So, so that's the key. You don't want the wine to overpower the dish or vice versa. You want to try to blend them. So that was, you know, a, a, a perfect example. Or, of course, sweet wines, dessert wines, or ports or something like that, that's why they pair so well with dessert because dessert is sweeter. <laughs> so, so yeah, but that was a perfect example. That makes so much sense, and that's so much simpler than I thought it was. Like, I never really understood what it was because in my head, I would think it would be about trying to balance or even counteract what the food is doing with what the wine is doing. Like, if you had a acidic dish, you would want a sweet wine or something. You balance them all out. But in thinking about it, that would make kind of a really jarring palate for one sitting, um, and it makes much more sense to complement them with the same flavors. And I really like how you said, like, it's not supposed to overpower it. It's supposed to help support it. That's it, yeah. Match it with like foods. So something that's interesting to me about this whole process is that there seems to be, at least from what you're saying, um, and what I've experienced, kind of a universality to it. Whereas you think of maybe beer or just any food in general where you're kind of allowed to have your own opinion and thoughts on it of like, oh, I like this with this or, oh, I don't like this, but I like this. But it sounds like everyone kind of has the same ideas about wine and what pairs with what. So, one, would you say that's true, that it's more a universal standard? And two, like, why? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think one of the things I would stress, though, is ultimately you should be comfortable to drink whatever wine you want with whatever dish you want. Because also what we have to remember is all of us have different taste buds. And what I may extract from a wine or a food isn't going to be exactly the same as you are. So so there are these generalities, but I always stress that pair it with what you want, drink it with what you like, because it's your meal. <laughs> it's your journey. You you should stick to that and, and not get too bound 
up with you know what the the general rule of thumb or the the perceived rules are. But also, I think you're finding more, especially with the craft beers now, so much interest in spirits, uh, all sorts of spirits. You're starting to see wine dinners that are pairing, you know, bourbon, scotches, gins, craft beers, because there is becoming, especially with the craft beers, so much more intensity and flavor profiles that the same thing is happening that they're finding that you know a particular ipa that's more hoppy will blend with you know a certain type of food so it started with wine but i actually see it happening now with beer and spirits as well all right well i'll keep an eye out for that and also that's great advice you know that it basically it's your life and you don't have to listen to these prescribed rules, especially if they don't fit your palate, because you're so right. Everyone tastes and experiences things differently, and we should honor that. Really important. But it also look at it as, I don't want to say an adventure, but it, don't be intimidated by it. Um, it's the only way we learn, both with food preparation and, and with tasting wines is to experiment. So that's the key. Cast fate to the wind and have fun with it. All right. Now, if someone doesn't feel comfortable enough experimenting right now, or maybe they just really want to look impressive and really want to make sure they get it right for this upcoming holiday, let's go through some popular meal choices and maybe you could suggest some pairing options for our listeners to at least make it look like they know as much as you do. Well, I can probably fool you with a lot. I have a lot more respect for so many people in this industry that are so experienced, but I've knocked around it long enough that I've had the opportunity to sit down to some good dinners. And so Certainly with Valentine's Day, um, we all know that chocolates are one of the traditional treats that go hand-in-hand with the holiday. So pairing chocolates and wine uh, is pretty interesting because, again, it just goes back to this whole idea that we spoke about earlier of taking the particular chocolates, their basic characteristics to them, and then, then... pairing them back with some wine. So, for instance, like white chocolate can be very sweet, get a buttery, honey, creamy texture to it at times. It's sugar, it's milk and all. So you want something on the sweeter side. So Rieslings, specifically German style or um, Austrian style Rieslings because they are higher in residual sugar, they're sweeter, that would be a good pairing Moscato, uh, which well, you can find it in many regions, but the, the most notable region is the Piemonte region of Italy, up in the northwest corner there near France. And Moscato di Asti is a, just a, a beautiful sweet wine. Or something like a, a sweeter rosé would work. And uh, also sparkling wine, Prosecco, could be a, a Spumante style, could could be a nice pairing with a white chocolate. But then you have milk chocolate. It's also can be cr- 
creamy, but it's got, you know, more of a brown sugar, vanilla, medium sort of body to it, but, you know, right character. So you're looking for something a little more along the lines of maybe like a Pinot Noir, which is a lighter red, often fruit-forward wine, Merlot, soft, again, fruit-forward, full-bodied, or even a Gewürztraminer, which is a white wine. Gewürztraminer is from, say, Alsace, France. More on the sweeter side, but would be a, a nice pairing for for milk chocolate. But then you go to dark chocolate, and clearly that's, here we go again, more intense flavor, uh, bitter flavors, sometimes earthiness to them. Uh, so you need... You need something to stand up to that. So we go right back to this, you know, making sure the wine can stand up to something that's a little more intense, like dark chocolate. So something like a Zinfandel, uh, that's a bigger, full-bodied wine. Cabernet Sauvignon, much the same. Or again, even Merlot. We talked about Merlot with milk chocolate, but if it's a bigger, bolder Merlot, albeit Merlot and by its nature is soft and round, you know, that can work with with dark chocolates. And also, obviously, chocolates can have things added to them, hazelnuts, dried cranberries, or something like that. And then you're, you want something a little more fruit-forward again. That, that would, you know, again, maybe Pinot Noir, something along that line. So it's not just enough to say that you're having chocolate. You really do have to think about what specifically you're having. Like I'm thinking that at the co-op we sell this equal exchange chocolate bar that's like lemon pepper and something. And like that would not go with the same wine as, you know, like a, a honey almond milk chocolate Um so sounds like you really have to think about what you're having. Um, it's not enough to say it's chocolate. You can see there's a whole theme going on here. <laughs> it's everything yeah. about throughout. It's it's. But again, this is what makes it really interesting. So then, what about something like oysters, which I know is another popular Valentine's dish. There, to my knowledge, you might not necessarily know what species—not species, but what type of oyster you're having. But would it depend on how you're preparing them of what you pair with it? It, it certainly can, because oysters can have a wide variety of accompaniment to them, which again could be spicy or saltier or sweeter. Or so, yeah, it, it would tend to make a difference on, on what's going on top of the oyster, if there is. But, and again, I'm going to get back to some generalities here. Over time, the better pairings for oysters have been something like um, a muscadet, which has a lot of minerality to it. And it's really a classic wine pairing because it's very dry and uh, with a lot of acidity. So it, it's been a, a classic pairing for oysters, but also maybe a vintage Chablis, uh, which Chablis is, this could be a whole other podcast, <laughs> because Chablis is a village in Burgundy, France. But the great 
in Chablis is Chardonnay. So if someone says, you know, I'm going to have a Chablis, they're actually going to have a Chardonnay. But again, that's that all gets back to French labeling and villages and regulations, and, and that's for a whole other time. But Chablis or Chardonnay is a really nice pairing for oysters, but also Sauvignon Blanc can be because there's an intense acidity and herbaceousness to Sauvignon Blanc, certain Sauvignon Blancs that could pair up well. And 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 again, go back to Champagne because, as I said before, Champagne can basically pair with everything. And what what's nicer on Valentine's Day than champagne and oysters? Mm. So something else I had thought of was strawberries, whether you do them plain or chocolate-covered. So from what you've been saying, I think I know enough to say we would want a sweeter, more fruit-forward wine. I'm thinking of some of my favorites from Sweet Baby Vineyard. But my question would be, would doing like a strawberry dessert wine be too much or should it just be fruit in general? Like does the fruit have to coincide with the fruit in the wine and should it? Well, it's it's interesting because strawberries can vary. No two strawberries are the same. So if the strawberries are, are sweeter, they're they're going to require a sweeter wine. So we go we we'll go back to that the German Austrian Rieslings. You know that would be really the pairing you'd want. But you could also take another approach to it and you chill a red like uh, a Beaujolais Village, which is the, it is the great Gamay is. Much like Pinot Noir, it's it's a lighter style of red wine, and if you put a little chill on it with that sweeter strawberry, it could be a really nice combination, or a, a fruit-forward Pinot Noir. Same thing. You know, those could pair really nicely. But, but also, sometimes you get less than ripe, Strawberries, a little, maybe you call them green strawberries. So it's going to be a little more acidic. So you're probably going to want something like a, a Sauvignon Blanc or, um, you know, Austria has a, a beautiful wine called Gruner Weltliner. And, you know, you probably need something like that to, to pair with it. And I'm going to bring up champagne again because I keep saying champagne goes with everything. Champagne and strawberries, especially like chocolate covered, absolutely beautiful. The only thing I would probably suggest is that you wouldn't want an extra dry or brute champagne. You'd probably want to go with what they would call a demi-sect, which means it's slightly sweet. And again, that could just be beautiful, beautiful pairing. So what I'm hearing also from that pairing specifically is that it's kind of making sense why people have these wine collections, maybe even a personal wine cellar, because as you mature into this and get more of an idea, you know that it can come down to the specific strawberries that you're eating, maybe the seasonality of them. So 
you might not know that when you're picking them up at the grocery store, but if you have this tried and true collection of wines and champagnes that you like at home, it's easy enough when you're making dinner or when you're doing that final plating to take a taste and be like, okay, this is what it tastes like and this is what will go with it versus trying to make that decision at the same time you're buying the ingredients at the store. It's the perfect reason to have a wine cellar. The more storage capacity you can generate, the more opportunity you have to have a variety of wines to do just what you said. Bring it home, taste it, and say, okay, yeah, I know what we can pair with that. Nice. Um, The last one I want to talk about real quick is, I know this is, again, very general, and there are a lot of directions people take it with, but for a pasta dish, um, maybe not in terms of flavoring, but I'm just thinking, is there something that pairs better, you know, with that heavy carb? A lot of times it's very creamy and just very carb-forward and dense. Yeah, well, it's again, comes back to the flavor profiles, um, how fatty, whether there's cheeses in there, whether it's acidic red sauces. And, you know, your best friend on these situations is this little invention called the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And there's just a vast amount of, of information. So I would always encourage people to just Google it. It's amazing to just put in, you know, is it a primavera? Is it a vodka sauce? Just type it in, and in seconds, which we've all become accustomed to, you'll get a variety of suggestions for not a specific brand of wine, but a style of wine. And and then if you are lucky enough to have that seller that's got that, Variety and it needn't be a big seller, but if you're if you cover your bases of light body, medium body, heavy body, acidic, fruit forward, so on, so on, so on, then you'll just have a lot of fun, and the and the internet will be just a great resource for that because there, especially with pasta, we all know there's so many varieties of pasta and the sauces and the styles. There's an endless amount of wines that can go with various types so that would you know we're right back to experimentation again and trial and error and you'll have a lot of fun doing it and it sounds like we're back to the beginning and are actually correcting our or i should say my misconception that if you have to pull out your phone or the internet to look up what to pair something with it doesn't show that you don't know what you're doing, it actually shows that you're putting a lot of effort and you're caring about what you're pairing with it and honestly that you're you're mature enough to realize that you don't know everything and are willing to ask for help and you know what's more romantic than that really absolutely and and what's fun Anastasia is especially when you're doing with a partner or a friend or it, it's so enjoyable because you're there in the kitchen you're having your glass of wine which you can start with 
during the preparation of the meal and continue with the meal. But it, it's, it's like a recipe. You have the recipe and they're giving you a guideline. But as you become more comfortable with cooking or prepare that meal again and again and again, you know where to tweak it, where you'll, you know, it says you need a certain amount of salt, but you'll decide that you need more or less, or maybe you're going to get really daring and go off the recipe and say, you know what, a little oregano in this would enhance it even more, maybe not to everyone's flavor profile, but maybe to yours. And so you're going to continue to do the same thing with the wine. You're going to, okay, we tried that with the Pinot Noir, but you know what, We maybe that was just a little too fruity. We want a little more of a tannic wine. This is, again, where it, it's, it's just a journey and it's, and it's wonderful. And make it fun. So you have given us so much information over the past however long we've been together. Before we go, do you have any final words of wisdom to impart on all of us before we wrap up and before we go out and celebrate our big day? Pretty much what we've discussed throughout. Just drink what you like. Don't be intimidated. Ask questions. Use the Internet. But above all, just have fun. And don't put too high expectations on the food, the wine, or or the day of Valentine's Day. Just have have fun with it. Perfect. All right, folks, that's about all the time we have today. If you want to learn more from Tom, he is a frequent guest and presenter at wine events all across the North Country and beyond. Just keep an eye out for him. Or, honestly, better yet, he's also a frequent guest at the co-op. We didn't bother to give you a description today of what he looks like, but I think if you just, like, go up to any random person in the wine aisle and ask if they're Tom, you could figure something out. Um, So good luck with that. And, Tom, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us today. It was my pleasure, Anastasia, and everybody have a good day, and, and those celebrating it, enjoy your Valentine's Day. Thank you, as always, for listening to another episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. And thank you to Tom for joining us for this episode. If any of you listening out there need an outlet to test out your newfound wine knowledge, I might just be able to clear my Valentine's Day schedule. And friendly reminder, there is quite possibly no better time of year to admit that you're secretly in love with just saying. Also, I just want to say, can we acknowledge for a second that Valentine's Day is on a Tuesday this year? The unhottest day of the year? How come certain holidays like Thanksgiving and Easter get to stake their claim on a certain day of the year, but Valentine's Day can float around and end up on a Tuesday? And yes, I do know how calendars work. Just let me have my rage. Anyways, We'll table the rest of this irrational argument for another day. But I do hope you learned something from today's episode, and whether you use it on Valentine's Day or not, I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you want to hear more from That's Rad, make sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, 
or wherever you're listening. And this is my monthly ask for a rating and review too. Now that I'm not in school and getting gold stars on papers anymore, this is kind of all I have. And lastly, if you have any ideas for topics or guests you want to see on the show, let us know. We've done 30 episodes. We have plenty of room in our next 30 to share what you want to hear. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great Valentine's Day no matter what it looks like, even if it's just a regular Tuesday to you. And as always, until next time, remember to eat, sleep, and be rad. still there? It's time for the credits. This episode of That's Rad has been a production of the Littleton Food Co-op. Anastasia Marr is the host, writer, director, and editor. Jesse Smith is the graphic designer. Annie Stewart is the executive producer. All are welcome in the Littleton Food Co-op, Littleton, New Hampshire's only community-owned grocery store. No membership is required to shop. Learn more by visiting us on social media or going to littletoncoop.com. Or just come see us for yourself right off exit 41. Next time you need some locally produced foods, fair prices to fit your budget, and the best service in the North Country, Remember the Littleton Food Co-op is your place to be. Okay, that's all.